Hi, I'm Lucy Adams from Disruptive HR. Welcome to one of our podcast series where you'll hear from HR practitioners who are genuinely doing things differently. If you're looking to change your HR practices, then why not check out the Disruptive HR Club? It's got tons of videos, webinars and downloadable guides that will give you all the ideas and practical help you'll need. Check it out at www.disruptivehr.club. So hello and welcome to another podcast from Disruptive HR, where we talk to people who are either in the HR profession or around the HR profession who are just doing things a little bit differently. And I'm really delighted to welcome Viv Leinster. Hi, Viv. Hi, Lucy. It's great to be here. It's so lovely to see you because we knew each other oh, kind of in and around the HR profession, the odd kind of bumping into each other at networking events, the odd coffee and stuff when you were at Booper. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, of course, you lose touch, don't you, with people um, when you're in lockdown and you don't have those, those kind of, you don't see each other on the circuit in the way that you did. Uh, so it's lovely that we've been able to reconnect. And I contacted you because you wrote this fantastic piece on LinkedIn about some of the work you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'd really like to try and explore with you. So you're Chief People Officer at Arkiva. That's right. And just just so in case people don't know Arkiva, just kind of give me the, you know, the thumbnail sketch of you know, what you do, how many employees, that kind of thing. Sure. And it's not surprising you haven't heard of this. We often talk of ourselves actually as one of the UK's most important companies that people have never heard of. (laughs) So essentially, we are a critical national infrastructure business. We provide services for media and broadcast and utilities services. Um, We are primarily based in the UK, but we provide services across the globe. We have around 1300 employees. based all over the UK. And that's quite a nice number, isn't it? You know, I've worked in very large organisations, as you have with Booper, I was at Serco, uh, BBC. But actually, you know, I've worked in a, um, a law firm that had around 3000 employees. And I think sometimes that that kind of one to three or up to five is quite a nice number. You can kind of get your arms around it, can't you? I, I agree. And having worked in places like BT and Booper, which are enormous in comparison, what I like is that in a slightly smaller organization, you can make change and see quickly whether or not it's working or yeah. not. And you can course correct. Yeah. Um, it's so yeah. much harder in those larger organizations, which are a bit like t- turning an oil tanker. So Yeah, so true. I People will often say to me kind of, you know I'm thinking about leaving my big organization where should I go and I always say go smaller just go smaller because I think it's actually um there's just a little bit more satisfaction in some ways in those smaller organization yeah now you I think joined what June 2020 you I did Arkiva, right yeah. in the heart of lockdown That's so you're right. taking over a very high profile role within the company you've got to build relationships you've got a team that you're going to try and lead so how do you do it? How did you handle that? Yes, it was it was a really odd set of circumstances. And even the interview process, you know, with my new CEO, you know, was during lockdown and yeah. everything had to be over teams. And it's just felt so much riskier in some senses <laughs> yeah. to, you know, make a decision around a quite important, you know, important yeah. decision. Um, without relationship with your boss yeah. and, you know, a couple of the key stakeholders in that team, you know, we always know that, 
you know, it's a kind of one top one on your list, isn't it? You've got to have a, a leader right. that, that, you know, that gets it and, and is genuine about making changes. Yeah, that's it. And so I was fortunate that we had some people in common that we knew uh, that we were able to, I suppose, essentially reference check each other against <laughs> to get a, a bit of a sense of yeah, whether what like I was dating, feeling. It, it you know, is. Yeah, yeah. Trying to check out their mates, you know. <laughs> that's right. And so that helped. Um, but then joining the organisation did feel, you know, particularly uh, strange because I had to meet my entire team over teams um, mm. and that I didn't get to meet the people who I was working with and for a number of months in fact and I just had to get very active on teams so I said to my um, PA at the time there's about 50 or so people in the HR team and I said I just want to meet them all and she was like what do you mean you want to meet them all and yeah. I said because the previous you know sort of leader I think had been less you know perhaps yeah um hands-on or engaged with the team and the typical and thing like, would be you'd meet your direct reports wouldn't you you know that's where it. actually you met every single person an individual team's call um yeah. and and was that kind of just listening or was it sort of beginning to shape the agenda or or how did a little, you handle a little those bit things? of both I'm always a big believer in the first 30 days in particular in an organization just has to be listening yeah. um, and asking almost the same questions what's great about working here what's not so great about working here and what advice would they have for me and I just ask that question over those questions over and over again of everyone I meet whether they're in my team whether they're peers whether they're in the business and that starts to give you that intel and that insight you see what the common themes are and it enabled me to start thinking about what might be yeah. the agenda that's needed at our keep up but also most importantly I would say what are the strengths as well actually yeah. of the organization because when you're brought in with the change agenda which I which I was I've always believed that the easiest way to change is from a position of strength. Yeah. So understanding what those strengths are and build it using those to help make the changes. I think that's absolutely right, isn't it? You know, I think sometimes when we're new and I've been guilty of this, you know, there's this sense of I'm going to come in and it's all going to be different. And, and of course, people are threatened by that. But if they genuinely feel that you get them, you've listened but also that you do understand what's great about it. Because I remember my boss at the BBC saying, you know, don't worry, Lucy, you won't break it. You know, it's been around, don't worry. You know, you can experiment, you can, can try stuff out, um, but also really getting a handle on what, what is great about mm. it, rather than this sense of you've all been doing it wrong and here am I to kind That's of right. you know, save you. And that was a very important thing about Arkiva. Arkiva has a, a, an enormous pride, actually, in its past and in what it's achieved. And it has a long history. And, you know, it was very important to understand, you know, why things were the way they were and to ask those questions and get really curious about, you know, just asking that extra question, you know, around, yeah. well, why is it that yeah. way? What's yeah. happened in the past? Yeah. And it enables you to be able to respect what gone before you as well and not just go in and start trampling on and changing things so yeah no that yeah. respect is important so so what is the change agenda what what were you kind of bought in to try and deliver 
because you've got a new chief exec as well haven't you that's right so you know that the chief executive started about six weeks or eight weeks before I did I was his first hire um, he saw that the people agenda had been not had enough attention I think paid to it for a number of years um, and it was had been underinvested in particular I think in terms of growing leaders and that sort of sense of um, leadership as opposed to management yeah so yeah. you know and that that was a that was a really key thing um, the other was with regards to the culture and in particular around how we supported the organization through change you know this is a business that has long-standing 10-year-plus contracts, that sort of safety or stability of revenue, but it's broadcasting and we need to find ways to grow different businesses, in particular in utilities and in um, lower earth orbit and space, those sorts of things. And we needed to shift the culture, you know, to one that could embrace, you know, new innovation and change. People who work there, have they been around for a while? Are they kind of typically long, long tenured employees? Yes, I think, and you see it often, I think, in engineering type workforces often, long tenure, so higher than average than you would see um, normally, and, you know, highly experienced, also older, so older demographic, um, also very male, so we're 80% male, Um, and so that creates a a certain dynamic, of course, and, uh, Mm. you know, we, we needed to to really the agenda in that sense was to to really help I think I would call it almost going from a fix to a growth mindset you know we talk about that but how to unlock that growth mindset um, for the future I've I've worked with um, with kind of largely typically male engineering um, demo you know older demographic when I worked in the rail industry with with Serco I love saying that worked in the rail industry makes me sound like I was kind of you know in there fixing signals and stuff but um, obviously in an HR role and um, it would be really interesting to hear your kind of experience of it because, you know, it's I think there were definitely pros and cons. I, I loved my time in rail, but it wasn't without its challenges. Mm-hmm. Has, has it meant that you've kind of had to rethink your approach or had you already, already kind of got that, you know, you know, in terms of getting them on side, helping them so they don't just see you as this, you know, either nice lady or the or this new bossy lady in, in personnel you know how yeah. how have how have you kind of managed to form relationships that can help drive change yeah and I think this has been one of the more difficult things to do in particular with the pandemic and lockdown because um, that ability to it, it to just get out and about and spend time in the field you know with our people is what you would normally do yeah. and having worked in open reach in BT you yeah, know you already got that experience you know I knew how important it was actually to get out and about and spend time you know with people in the field and that was more difficult to do although the CEO and I both because we were new where where we could and government guidance allowed in those little breaks that we did yeah. have between <laughs> lockdowns yeah. you know, we took advantage of those and we did get out and about as much as we could to go and visit some of our sites yeah. um, in different places and spend time you know with people on the ground so that that certainly helped. How, yeah. do, you, how do you build relationships with with perhaps a, um, an older demographic, mm. engineering, uh, skill-based, hugely very bright, very passionate about what they do, but typically not known for their 
um, love of the HR agenda? You know, yes. how, how have you kind of had to think about doing it differently? Yeah, and I think the uh, a lot of it is around listening um, and trying to create those forums. And actually, the HR team at Arkiva had been quite good in making themselves flexible in terms of things like uh, running sessions for like benefits, um, you know, enrolments and things in the evening um, to capture shift workers um, or visiting some of our our sites at unusual times to try to ensure that we were being available, you know, for those. But I think the pandemic also did create a greater sense of us and them because we, we have critical national infrastructure our workforce were considered key workers they never they stopped. were out there right the way through they were and yet our office-based staff of course were forced to work from home and what has been really interesting as we've now moved into a different world of flexible and hybrid working we've had to spend quite a bit of time I think talking about the most holistic nature of what flexible working is and that it's not just about being at home or being in the office and that actually when you're thinking about flexible hybrid working you start with the work that you need to do and then where and when is the best place you know to do that's it you really don't, fascinating yeah. you know that because prior to covid flexible working was all about time wasn't it it was all about when you worked because it was typically seen as a female family friendly agenda and it was all about can you flex you know work part-time term time and then of course post-covid it's all about where yes working has become all about where and of course you know we do get you know clients will say well you know we have a lot of you know frontline workers delivery work you know whatever it might be and you know how can we manage an agenda which seems to be fair to them but at the same time, allowing and creating flexibility. And I think, you know, you've hit the nail on the head there. Flexibility is not just where you're located. No, no, that's absolutely right. And that's been quite hard, you know, to to get that across to people. And we have had a bit of a sense of us and them. But the way that one of the ways that we've got around it is we've created some guiding principles around what work what we call work life smarter which is our approach to flexible and hybrid working but the real thing that worked was that we have asked teams to create what we call a team charter and we give them guidance around that and we ask teams to sit down and discuss by looking at our principles and agree how they're going to spend their time together you know when where how and they create these charters they share them they publish them on our on our intranet we have you know over 80 published on our intranet so everybody can look at everybody else's and what's fabulous is how different they all are because the teams are different and the roles are different and the things that bother teams are different yeah and a lot of it is around how they're going to use the technology for example you know how can I when can I call you can I call you when you're green like what is the what is the that's got nothing to do with you know where and when you you work so it's fascinating how that's created a completely different conversation and it's also created a greater engagement in work we did we've just recently done our engagement survey and we looked at the correlation between those people that have team charters and engagement on of our 20 most highly engaged teams 75 percent of them have team charters the 20 lowest scoring less least engaged teams 
20% have team charters. How interesting. So you've got that direct correlation. You've got, you've got the data that supports it. I mean, I think it was, it was the article uh, on this that was the reason I got in contact with you and said, yeah. would you do a podcast with us? Because what struck me is, you know, we talk about this adult to adult, you know, with our each model employees as adults, consumers, human beings. And particularly on the first two, the adult to adult, Yes. It was it was just right in that sweet spot, you know, and also the consumer allowing teams different you know, rather than mandating three days and two days, which yes. ends up almost pleasing no one because you're, you're not getting the benefits of that total flexibility. Um, and it still feels like, you know, we'll allow you to do this as opposed to let's think about the work you know, yes. and us and, mm. what, you know, let's as far as possible accommodate that. Um, one of the pushbacks we get from, from clients who are trying to be more adult to adult with this, particularly around hybrid, is that they, they often find that some managers and leaders kind of don't want to take that responsibility. They want a policy. Have you had a bit of that and how have you yes. got around it? We have, um, most certainly. And because that's easier. Yeah. Right. It's a lot easier to be given a set of rules and then just apply it. Yeah. And we just almost there's really the simplest thing we do we just sat on our hands we just said we're not going to we're just not going to give you a set of rules so we know you want them we're hearing you so we yeah. did acknowledge yeah. you know that we hear that you'd rather some rules just go with this for a bit we're asking you to have a conversation and the real key of the team charters was sit down and have a conversation so, and we've tried to take that principle in a number of different areas. We have what we call conversation guides in our keeper, whether that's for performance, for development, when you're a new joiner, for health and well-being. Team charters are just another conversation in a suite that we ask our line managers to yeah. utilize. The other key with our performance so you give some kind of pointers and suggestions of how to get these things going. Because sometimes yeah. I think leaders go, Well, I don't know how to have a conversation like this. Yeah. What happens if if they want something? that I think is unreasonable and how do That's I cope right. with it? So very basic, a couple of key questions, open questions, good coaching type questions. Yeah. The other thing we do, which I think is super important, is that we have a conversation guide for the line manager and a conversation guide for the employee. Absolutely. So right. how do you prepare for this conversation, employee, and how do you prepare yeah. line manager? Because it's and not just going along and having a moan, is it? That's you know, it. It's about how are you taking ownership? I love Swiss Re. They do this thing around own the way you work. Yes. It's not about I get everything I want. It's about you being aware of when you're most productive, what your caring responsibilities are, what's the nature of your client work, and then agreeing that with conversation. Yes. And, yeah. you know, and, and that, I think, is, is really helpful to that adult to adult piece. Yeah, that's right. And then we said to people that we would be available, that if they really got stuck, you know, we ran some um, line manager, you know, sessions to, yeah. to sort of support them with it. We said we'd be available if they wanted someone to come along. But you know what? They haven't needed it. Oh, they brilliant. haven't you know when they've sat down and had the conversations yeah. they've really enjoyed it and I think they've learned things they've been surprised the team tends to start self-regulating a bit um, and you know we're now sort of going through the process of people reviewing them they've been in place now for sort of four or five months people starting to review them and they're just getting better and better and better um, and oh, I'd the, love to see an example of one of them if you can share that oh with for that sure we've actually done I'd some analysis um, of the 80 team charters that we've got which show some of the things that have come out it's fascinating because and we've been sharing that with people and I think people have really enjoyed that because some people have just been so creative so inventive they've come up with things that we would never have thought of 
So what kind of unusual things have people been coming up with? So I think there's been some, a lot, there's been a lot more around well-being than I think we expected. So people have really shared some quite personal, you know, what, what they've sort of referred to as personal non-negotiables. So <laughs> these are the things that are important to me. These are my caring commitments. This is my nursery drop-off time, or actually I volunteer on a Friday mm. afternoon yeah. or something. And I felt that was just great to see how people were, were sharing a more whole self yeah, you know yeah, with yeah. within that um i think we also saw things um around you know keeping cameras on but also even the use of emojis you know people agreed we had some conversation we had some people saying oh i don't really like using a heart and when you sort of ask them why they go well doesn't it mean love and it's like well yes but it's so oh. it's interesting how some of these things come and out suppose, you know again we're not you know I'm kind of counting myself in the same demographic as most of your older older guys they're not used to emojis are they and yet no. actually teams and all of that stuff is kind of geared up for that liking emote and it's interesting when we're doing work on teams some teams use it all the time the yes. emoji signs and the thumbs up and everything and others don't kind of go near it that's it so but having the conversation just means yeah. everybody gets to a level that they're comfortable yeah. with and understand why they're being used the the other advantage has been actually people have really used some of the my analytics functionality or viva i think as it's now known on on the sort of microsoft yeah. and doing using things like the focus time putting in learning time actually has been really fantastic to see um, and committing to um, you know as I say the way they're using you know some of the tech and, and things like that yeah so they're um, using the technology to help support a sense of of kind of this is the shape of my day and people are then more aware of it really fascinating yeah I'm conscious right. of time as so I want to mm. just um you talked about lack of investment in in leaders maybe mm. um which you know let's face it we've all been guilty of that and um and and I when we when we were kind of doing the the pre-briefing on this you mentioned something around um a kind of an approach to leadership development uh, that I thought was quite unusual um, so just talk to us about how you're developing leaders to help them lead this more agile, more innovative organisation. Yeah, sure. So we've put in place actually a, a fairly, you know, considered leadership development program, but it's always interesting when you put these things together, what things really resonate, you know, within an organisation and what things really make a difference. And one of the things that's a really simple um, a, a really simple technique is what we call above the line thinking. And the, the concept of that is all in and around change and that change is hard. And it's there's always somebody else to blame, right? It's easy to sit there and say, it's somebody else's fault. It's it wasn't, it's not me, it's the external environment. Look at where we are, you know, with inflation and what's happening in, in the world. But the point of above the line thinking is that we have a choice. It's about being empowered to think, actually, I have the power. And it really, the prompt is just one simple question that we, we say that people should ask themselves, which is, given the situation, what can I do? 
And that really simple question that you can ask yourself or ask a group or ask a team of people just opens up that sense of, of possibility. And because we've labelled it above the line thinking versus below the line thinking, it's given a language to the organisation. And we also say to people, it's okay to go below the line. It's actually okay to have a good mode. Have a right good right. mode. Exactly, and a good whinge and a good blame, right? It actually feels really good. Yeah. You know, we all need it. Yeah. At times it's cathartic and sometimes yeah. just need to get it out. And But the key is that you frame it, you label it, and then you say, I'm finished now. I've done my below the line thinking, yeah. and now I'm going to shift and move, you know, into above the line thinking and ask myself that question. And is about this something that's been adopted and, and embraced by some of the you know the engineering guys that we've talked about have they started to use that kind of language not quite yet we've deliberately started with leaders um so in looking at our culture journey and our leadership journey we have unapologetically you know um disproportionately invested in our leadership team yeah because the shadow of a leader is enormous right we know that um and you know if you if you're not getting the behaviors if they're not confident and competent you know and don't have that skill and will you know to do this then nobody else is is, you can't expect others to to do that so we've deliberately started with our leaders and we've worked with them to help them with their competence around this and their confidence before asking them to do it with their teams so we're just at the stage now we sort we sort of talk about the tipping point you know of starting to to shift into you know other layers within the organization and how we help them through it but we really needed to have our leaders feel confident with this and role modeling it and practice it until they felt more confident before we asked them to then do it with the rest of the organization you know resilience the ability to embrace new things, to show curiosity, all of those kind of um, elements that, that that make up a leader that cannot just cope with disruption, but thrives in it, you know, comes down to that kind of positive attitude. And it's not about being a Pollyanna and everything's marvellous. It is you know, complete acknowledgement that sometimes things are really hard. Mm. But as you say, it's the so what do I do about that? And yeah. how can I what's my attitude to it? I remember some of the leaders I've worked with in the past, you know, they'd come into a session and they'd be like, oh, it's so difficult. It's so hard. And I say to them, you know, I'm so glad I'm not led by you because you know, it's not that you want your leader to everything sunny all the time. You want them to recognise the difficulties, but equally you want a bit of optimism, don't you? Yes, you want a bit of sense of, okay, so we've all had a good whinge. Right, now what are we going to do? Yeah, Um, and what's the, and it's a balance, isn't it? Because there's always something that we can do. Yeah. And we might not be able to control everything, but we can control certain things. And Mm -hmm. so it's focusing in on what you can do rather than just sitting there and feeling helpless. I mean, nobody likes to feel helpless. Um, And, you know, I think that's, you know, where it's just personal responsibility in some yeah. ways that's what and it has comes this been down like to. a formal training that you've um, you've done or has it been sort of more light touch or how's how have you how have you kind of got this language and understanding across the leadership cohort 
So it's been a bit of a mix of a number of different things. So there is some formal learning that, that we've done, but we've done a mix of things like, like masterclasses, essentially, yeah, yeah. and short webinars and things like that, yeah. which actually has worked really well. Some of it we were forced into doing because of the pandemic. So but you just would never go back to some of it. I no. mean, I think that kind of, you know, an, uh, a leadership group that's spread across, you know, different locations, you can yeah. tap into them for an hour why would you you know of course there's a need to get together for certain things but we, yeah, that's right. Go back, I don't no, and I think actually having the break that we had at certain points between more sort of more full on learning, you do just need time to allow it to seep in and to practice yeah. and to and to feel more comfortable with it, to reflect on it yeah. um, and then yeah. come back and have another conversation. So I'm a big believer in your know, programs that go over a period of time that give yeah. you a piece of theory, go and have yeah. a practice, come yeah. back and talk to exactly. us about it, a little masterclass drop in between we're doing some assignments or projects as we call yeah. it where we've given yeah. them some business problems you know to solve like real groups. life stuff and actually getting yeah. them applying this new thinking that's right I think that kind of that blend is great that's really helpful I'm gonna to have to wrap it up I could talk to you for hours I know uh, it's just great what you're doing I love the things the ideas some of it's so simple but it does come back to that kind of you know very practical adult to adult stuff but with a real human element to it as well and um I just yeah can't wait to hear about the next stage of the journey and let's let's keep in touch let's not uh, let another few years go by you take Definitely. care and thanks Thank again you. take care Viv bye thanks Lucy bye-bye thanks for listening to this podcast for more resources to help you change HR check out the Disruptive HR Club at www.disruptivehr.club